welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. This morning, we've been looking at a series uh, called Better Together. And what we've been doing through that series is looking at the one another passages in, in the Bible. There's, uh, the, the New Testament is filled with these one another passages, how we are to, uh, all coming out of how we are to love one another. Uh, coming out of this command of Christ uh, where he says, this new commandment I give you, uh, you are to love one another. And in this love, we will behold Christ and see Christ and the watching world uh, will know Christ, the Bible says, um, as we love one another. And so that's what we've been looking at over our course of time together. And this morning we're looking at Galatians chapter 6. I haven't said that already. Uh, Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 through 10 is where we are. We're actually going to start up right before that in chapter 5 this morning, and you'll see why just in a moment. Um, But Galatians chapter 6 is where we are this morning, particularly looking looking at this idea to bear one another's burdens. So I'll start out by asking you these questions so we can see the the impact and the the necessity of knowing this, of how we are to bear one another's burdens. What does it look like for a spirit-filled, spirit-led community to be in action? What is the work of building up? What what does it look like for a people and a church to be spirit-filled, spirit-led, and to keep in step, as the Bible says, with the Holy Spirit? Uh, Tony Marita wrote a commentary on Galatians, and in that commentary, he uh, recalls a story that he once heard, and he writes this. He says, I remember hearing a story about a pastor in New York, he writes. A woman in the congregation said to him, Pastor, we need to see more signs and wonders. In other words, we need to see more work of the Spirit among us. We haven't seen enough signs and wonders, this woman said, and and the pastor responded, ma'am, over there sits a lady who has been evicted from her apartment with her children, and I would consider it a sign and wonder if you would take them in your house to live for three months. And perhaps we are often like this woman. You have a, a great desire to see the miraculous. You have a great desire to see signs and wonders of the Spirit working among us. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to see God do the extraordinary things and for, for God to work in extraordinary ways among us, absolutely. But, but we often overlook and, and undervalue how the Spirit usually works in our lives, often through practical deeds of love, especially deeds performed, as you heard in Galatians chapter 6, Tim, especially deeds among the households of faith. Another thing that the Bible says about who we are as a church, we are a spirit-filled body. The Bible also describes it like this, that that we are being built up together into a spiritual house. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5 says this, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5, he says, you yourselves, church, are like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Here's what I want us to understand, that when we talk about church and we talk about being spirit-led and God working among us, there is a communal communal aspect to being part of God's family. And so Paul uses these metaphors. He, He uses the idea of being of the body of Christ. 
He uses the idea of us being built up into a temple. All us individual members, individual stones being built up into a temple. And here's what I want us to see is the church today functions as the temple of old. The temple was where God dwelled with his people throughout the biblical story. And so if the people of God are the temple as described in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, and if we are spirit-filled, spirit-led people, follow along with me here, that means that through these people, through these spirit-filled people doing these signs and wonders, such as bearing one another's burdens, then people, we will reach the world for Christ. So if the people of God, follow along with me here, are the temple, that means it's through these people that God reaches the world. In the ancient world, people traveled from far and wide to encounter God at the temple in Jerusalem. And now the people of God, as described in 1 Peter chapter 2, are the temple and take God's presence to the world. And one way that we show that we are spirit-filled and spirit-led, follow with me here, are by bearing one another's burdens. And so if we look for signs and wonders, if we look for revival in a spirit-filled church, perhaps like this lady that I described in the story before, we will miss it if we're not willing to do practical things of spirit-led people, of bearing one another's burdens. If we want to see the extraordinary, if we want to see people encounter the Lord, we must see one another bear another one another's burdens. And in so, we will be a place where God is encountered as he builds up these spiritual people in a spiritual temple. So, we must bear one another's burdens. Here's some things that I want you to know about bearing one another's burdens. This one, the first thing that I want you to see is the posture. The posture of bearing one another's Burdens. You notice the task we are charged with, as you heard me read a minute ago, is not a light task. Bearing burdens involves meeting practical needs that are heavy. But you notice what also the Bible says here, primarily what it's talking about. Yes, meeting practical needs of one another, finding out what people need and, and bearing those burdens together, a burden that someone has. You, you also see that it means confronting spiritual problems and helping meet spiritual needs. This, this, this is not a light task for the church. And so, so to understand this, we need to know the proper posture of burden bearing because you are getting under something really heavy with someone and you're going to walk with them. H- have you ever helped someone move before? Have you ever, I, I specifically remember helping one individual move from a house, well, from an apartment, it wasn't a house, from a, par- a, a two-story apartment, they were on the second floor and they had this huge um, buffet table, like this, it, it was solid wood, like good furniture back in the day, it, it really heavy. And we had to go downstairs with that, and then they moved into a second-story apartment. So then we had to go back up the stairs with this thing after we had built it up into the moving van and out of the moving van. I, I think I'm still feeling it in my back uh, because... You know, what, what do you say when you go pick up something like that? Assume the proper posture, lift with your legs. You got it, right. I think I lifted with my back that day, so I did not assume the proper posture. So the proper posture matters when we are lifting something heavy, doesn't it? We know this. And the Bible tells us here, when we're helping folks lift something heavy, whether a practical need or a spiritual need, 
we must do it with the proper posture. Namely, the Bible describes it like this. We must be in step with the Spirit if we are to lift heavy burdens for one another. Notice what Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Who is going to do this? You see it here. It says, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So Paul says to have the proper posture to help someone bear these heavy burdens, to bear one another so that we are being built up as a spiritual temple so that we see signs and wonders and the evidence of the Spirit moving among us. That's what's at stake. You must be a spiritual person. Now, this doesn't mean you're a high, mighty person or, or that, you, that you have a certain uh, um, personality about you or something like that. You need to understand what Paul just came out of. He came out of... A, Galatians chapter 5, right? When he gets into Galatians chapter 6. In Galatians chapter 5, that's what he's talking about. Putting death, the works of the flesh, and we prayed it a minute ago, living by the fruit of the Spirit. And so he's telling us something here that, that if we are to assume the proper posture of burden bearing, we are not to lift in the flesh, And he describes the flesh up there, things like enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions, and envy, and all of these things that come from the flesh. That's not the proper posture. You must be spiritual, particularly the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no law. So understand this, those who are spiritual must be walking by the Spirit and led by the Spirit and being stepped with the Spirit. So the proper posture that you are are assuming here is, is one of love, is one of joy, is one of you're seeking peace and patience and kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self control. But there's something else that Paul says about this, is that we who are spiritual and and, and, showing the fruit of the Spirit as we help one bear one another's burdens, you'll notice the second thing about the proper posture. One, those who are spiritual. Number two, in the negative sense, do you see it in verse 25 and 26 of chapter 5? If we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit so we kind of know what that looks like. Let us not, so the negative is not the proper posture. That's how you lift with your back. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another. There are some one another's that we are not to live by. Don't become conceited, provoking one another, or envying one another. And here's what Paul's telling us here. That the proud and conceited can be really good at pointing out burdens and pointing out problems. But the proud and conceited are not very good at helping people carry those burdens. Burdens and burden bearing is a slave's task. It's a menial task. It's a messy task. It's a lowly and thankless task. And the proud and conceited are not good at bearing burdens. To be conceited means that you have a deep insecurity as one author defines it, one commentator defines it. You have a deep insecurity to be conceited, a perceived absence of honor and glory leading to a need to prove your own worth to yourself and others. To be conceited means that you are full of yourself and you have this emptiness in you 
and you're fixated on comparing yourself with others. When we seem better than someone else, our honor hunger puffs us up and makes us feel great. And we seem to be inferior to someone else if we are conceited. We are devastated for the same reason. And so here's what a conceited person is doing. A conceited person, someone who is worried about receiving their own honor, their own glory, and to be perceived in such a way, instead of being spirit-filled, they're self-filled, and they cannot bear burdens, listen to this, because they are positioning themselves against someone and comparing themselves to someone instead of doing the task of burden bearing where they are coming alongside someone, side to side, together with someone, locking arms with someone who is struggling and willing to bear that burden themselves as their own. A conceited person doesn't want to be identified with that or come along with that. I'm not saying, it says watch yourself, doesn't it here? So it's It's not saying to fall into sin. Watch yourself lest you be tempted. So it's not saying to to come along and, and sin with them, but it's going to be messy. A conceited person leads to this. So we know what a conceited, a conceited person is positioning themselves against someone instead of alongside someone. And notice instead of bearing one another's burden, what the conceited person will do. Did you notice that in verse 26? They'll provoke one another and envy one another. This world provoke is a competitive term. It means to challenge someone to a contest. And so the conceited person, instead of coming along, someone is provoking someone, is poking them, trying to, 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 to stir them up so that they can have a contest so they can show how much better they are than someone else. It's trying to gain position over someone through a competition. Or if you're conceited, you might provoke, but you also might envy one another. That means to want something that rightful belongs to someone else. So a provoking person is the stance of someone who is so sure of their superiority that they look down on the one who is weaker and who is dealing with a burden. The envying one is the stance of someone who is conscious of their inferiority It looks up at someone, and they want to be above them, and so they envy them and try to tear them down because they see no other way out of it instead of trying to build them up because they know if they build them up, then they might be seen greater as them, and they're conceited, and it's a mess. That's how you throw your back out, right? (laughs) This is how you lift with your back and not your knees. And so we're spirit-filled people and not conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. So to sum this up, what we are lifting from, from the power of the Spirit, and now we're talking about identity, are you conceited or envying or provoking and all of these things, with this proper posture, and it's so important to get the posture right, because if you don't get the posture right, it's all going to be a mess. We're spending some time on this. A couple more things about a posture. So we're talking about identity now that we must lift from our gospel identity of who you are in Christ. And so the Spirit works in us to apply the gospel to our self-perception and view of others. The Spirit creates a whole new self-image that's not based on comparisons with others. 
Only the gospel makes us neither self-confident nor self-disdaining. We needed to be saved because we are sinners. And we are so loved in Jesus Christ that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we have been lavished with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There is no place for self-confidence. And there is no place for self-disdaining in the gospel. There is no place for envy. There is no place for provoking. There is no place for conceitedness. The gospel has created a new self-image. It humbles us before anyone by telling us that we are sinners saved by grace. And it emboldens us before anyone telling us that we are loved and honored by the only eyes in the universe that really count, God himself. And so the gospel is what will give us this boldness and the humility so that we can live properly and bear one another's burdens together. So this lifting comes from the Spirit. It's not conceited. So it doesn't provoke or envy. It comes from our gospel identity. And the final thing I want you to see about posture here, listen to what it says. Brothers, if, verse 1, brothers and sisters, chapter 6. If anyone is caught in any transgression, so someone's under the weight of sin and they need someone to help carry them and lead them out of it, you who are spiritual, so we know what that means now, should restore him. So that's what you're after, restoration in a spirit of gentleness. We lift with gentleness. Paul would tell this to Timothy a couple times in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 22. He says, teach, rebuke, and all of these things, but do so with gentleness. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 4 verse 2, is to be ready in, in season and out season, and do so with patience. Martin Luther said like this, if someone is caught into sin... Run unto him, reaching out your hand. Raise him up again. Comfort him with sweet words and embrace him with motherly arms. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit, which implies that the virtue develops as we abide with Jesus personally. He makes us gentle like himself because Jesus said, as he describes himself, that he is gentle and lowly in heart. So we lift from this gospel identity and we lift with gentleness. That's the posture. You've got to get that right. You understand that because if you lift any other way, you will make a mess. So burden bearing, we know the posture of burden bearing. And point number two this morning, what is the work of burden bearing? Listen to what he says in verse one. He says, brothers and sisters. And so as we bear burdens, here's what we understand about the work of burden bearing. Burden bearing is a family business. It's a family business. Any of you who are involved in family business or have worked with family or have family with you, family business can be messy. Church business can be messy because the church is a gathering of people who have been saved by grace, who are sinners and have problems and struggle with sin. It's a gathering of sinners. But we're all family as we have all been. If you've trusted in Jesus, you've been adopted into the family of God. The work of burden bearing is a family business. And so we must come to one another knowing that family business will be messy. We don't come to one another as though they are pawns or they're just employees or whatever else. We come to them as ones who are part of our family. 
we, we come to them as, maybe you know this, maybe there's pain with this involved with Thanksgiving. I'm just thinking about this, that uh, there are people in your family that like the idea of Thanksgiving dinner probably overwhelms you because you have to sit and share a meal with them. And there are things between you that need to be solved and need to be mended and all of these things. And so the idea of Thanksgiving dinner maybe overwhelms you. But once a month, we gather around the table. And so when we bear one another's burdens together, we say, I've got to gather around that table with them in a month. And that is my brothers and sisters, and I want to be gathered with them. The work of burden bearing is family work, it's the family business, but it's hard and humble work. This is very difficult work because it involves doing sacrificial things. It involves helping people walk through sin, and that's very difficult to do because sin has wreaked havoc upon this world and still wreaks havoc in our lives. And so that's why Paul says here to watch yourself. Watch yourself, lest you too fall into sin. This is a hard work, so don't take it lightly. But it's, a, it's also a humble work, because you've got to put yourself beside someone else and take their problem as your own, because they are family. And so if they have a problem, you have a problem. If they have a struggle, you have a struggle. If they have a pain, you have a pain. If they are weeping, you are weeping. And you cannot help with a burden unless you are willing to come very close to a burdened person. To stand in their shoes and putting your own strength under the burden so that burden is distributed on both of you. And that burden becomes lighter for them. So it's humbly because you must be willing to take on problems. And lighten the load of a brother or sister. It's hard and it's humble, but it's worth it. Because what's at stake is being a spirit-filled church. A spirit-led people. A building being built up as we are gathered as stacked in stones. Being a very temple of God where we might see Christ and the world might see Christ in us as we are the body of Christ. It's family work. It's hard work. It's humble work. It's delicate work because you see what he says here. That you should seek to restore them and even keep watch on yourself. And this means as we are helping people walk through sin, we must resist the natural and sinful impulse to heap guilt and tear them down instead of to correct in order to encourage, in order to restore. All Christian correction should aim at restoration, restoration to Christ. We are a people who relentlessly have something good to say, you can be restored in Christ. This is why Paul would even say in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 through 8, he's correcting this church for things that, are, that they're doing wrong, particularly correcting this individual. And he says, you should turn and forgive and comfort him so that he is not overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. So he says, I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. So even if you're walking with someone who is walking and maybe they're struggling with sin, you're calling them, you're correcting, it's delicate because you have to remind them that you love them and not heap excessive sorrow upon them, but love them as Christ has loved us. It's family work. 
It's hard work. It's humble work. It's delicate work. But this is the work of Christ. You notice in verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The entire law is summed up in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. This is what Christ was after. This fulfills the law of Christ. This is the work of Christ. So that's the work. This is the work of Christ. You also noticed here that this work is also means that we have to do our job. Look at verse 4. But let each one of you test his, excuse me, verse 4. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Now this could be confusing, right? Bear one another's burdens. Bear your own load. Which one is it? Because we probably know some people where everything is a burden, and then we know some people where nothing is in burden. Nobody wants to be helped. And then you have other people that want to be helped with, with everything and makes a mountain out of a molehill. And so, so, so what is he saying here? He's simply saying the Greek word here that translates burdens means a heavy weight. But this word load refers to a kind of backpack, a lighter weight. And so verse 5 means that God has given each of us a different set of difficulties and opportunities and a different set of weaknesses and gifts. And so he's simply saying here, be responsible for what God has given you. There's some people who have a great strength and a gift that you don't have, and that's okay. Some people have weaknesses that you don't have. Well, come alongside. Some people struggle with things you don't struggle with. You who are spiritual and strong, go, go help them. Use that gift. Bear your load well. Some of you have struggles. Recognize those struggles and help have someone come alongside of you. So to some, we are responsible for each other's problems. We're not supposed to be each other's problems. In other words, we're, we're here to help carry the burden, not to increase the burden. We help lighten the load, not increase the load. That's the work of a spirit-filled church. And so you know the posture you know the work. Now the final point, here's the harvest of bur- burden bearing. Verse 6. First, he gives this practical application. Says, Let the one who was taught the word share all good things who one, with one who teaches. So, uh, what he's saying here is uh, don't just be a consumer at church. Share your things among yourselves that we should not be consumers. Uh, we don't just come to church to consume and to plunder and get all the benefits, but we are actually locked in. We give to needs. Uh, we give to things like, like the offering. And uh, Christian teaching is not just one more service to be paid, but it's a rich fellowship and a mutual sharing of God's gifts. That's one of the practical ways we bear one another's birds. We pull our resources together so the one who's taught even shares all good things with the one who teaches, pastors and teachers and overseers and elders and people like that. Then he says this, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will reap. And for the one who sows to his own flesh, remember he's been talking about flesh and the spirit, one who sows with his own flesh, lifting with your back, The one who sows with his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. And the one who sows in the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so notice the harvest, what's at stake here. Being a Spirit-filled people, but notice what else he's saying. 
It's the harvest. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, so, 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 so. Don't expect, here's what he's saying. Don't expect a harvest without the hard work of sowing. Don't expect to be a spirit-filled, spirit-led church if you're not sowing to the Spirit. And one of the practical ways is to bear another one's burden. So if we're not bearing one another's burdens, well, don't expect a harvest. God is not mocked. You know in farming and gardening, there is an absolute principle. Whatever you sow, you will reap. Our RAs and GAs have been learning this on Sunday nights. And we have a gentleman in our congregation who, uh, December 17th, by the way, will be selling these things. Um, I'm, I'm bearing the lead here. Um, that on Sunday nights, uh, back in September, he brought to them these little tiny black seeds. You could barely see them. And they were cabbage seeds. And they planted them and they watered them and they sprouted them. And if you go in our backyard right now, you have these big heads of cabbage that are starting to form. And we're going to sell them to you as a fundraiser here in a few weeks. But something that they have learned is that you harvest what you sow. We couldn't go to that plot of land and say, cabbage, you grow without planting the seed or fertilizing the soil or sowing, 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 and and seeing that something would sprout there. We couldn't go out there and plant tomato seeds and hope to get cabbage. We couldn't go out there and hope to get corn and just say corn or throw out cabbage seed and hope that corn would grow up. Because you sow what you reap. This is built into nature. So Paul is saying what you see in nature, what these kids are seeing in nature is a lesson they will learn for the rest of their lives that we as adults still don't get sometimes. We as churches still don't get sometimes, right? Right? We expect to see this spiritual life, this spirit-filled church, but we're not sowing to the spirit. Paul is saying God is not bucked. But here's the promise. So here's the, that's the harvest. The harvest, do you see it here, will reap eternal life, and you will be a spirit-filled, spirit-led people. So the final encouragement he leads us with, there's a long obedience to burden-bearing. There's a long obedience to farming and seeing a harvest come. You must go out there and toil and till and weed and fertilize. And I tell you, sometimes I would go out to that back plot out there and see those little bit sprouts or see nothing at all when we drop carrot seeds down there as well. And is this ever going to pop up? You ever felt like that spiritually? Like, God, where's the harvest? When am I going to see this in my life? Day by day, sowing to please the Spirit requires us. Here's what Paul says. Don't grow weary of doing good. Don't grow weary. For in due season, we will reap. That's a promise if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Don't grow weary. It's exhausting. You have to come alongside people and know their problems and take those problems on their own. But do you know that Christ did that for you? We're going to celebrate that in the supper here in a moment. We know that what Christ did that for there, surely he bore your burdens. Don't you know this from 
Isaiah chapter 53. He has bore our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. And yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each have turned to his own way. But the Lord laid on Christ the iniquity of us all. And so the real question for me and for you, this is preaching at myself here, we must ask how deep has the gospel gone in our hearts? And I find if the gospel has been sown and taking root in our hearts from the harvest will come folks who gladly bear our burdens because that's what Jesus said. Take upon me, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He gladly bears our burdens to the cross for us. For the joy set before him. He didn't say, doggone it, I guess I have to. I'm the son of God, aren't I? I'm the only sinless, perfect, righteous, spotless lamb. (laughs) I guess I'm up for this one. Those dirty dogs down there that are just messing everything up. That's maybe how we treat some others sometimes. That's not the gospel. And if we bear burdens that way, we show, we unsay with our lives what we say with our words. And we don't want to unsay with our lives what we say with our words and what we believe as a church for the joy set before him. He gave his body for you. He shed his blood for you. For he did not come to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. He came gentle and lowly Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 to restore us who were broken by sin and brothers and sisters we are called to do the very same thing so that others might see Christ and we might know Christ more clearly so may we bear one another's burdens as Christ bore our burden for us let's pray